0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Live. Hello welcome to Garibald Your for a second episode of this week as we're joined by a special guest ahead of the West Ham game in the shape of Forest first team coach, Jamie Robinson, one of the new people who've joined the club over the summer. Jamie, great to have you with us. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Nice to see you. Yes, you too, you too. Uh, how are you settling in at Forest? Has it been a bit of a whirlwind or are you feeling like you're, you're all part of the furniture now?
0: A um, bit of both, really. You know, I mean, I certainly don't feel like the new boy because I spent a bit of time over here last season obviously known Steve Cooper for many, many years. Um so that doesn't feel new. Certainly the surroundings. You know, we were talking before we started this about Nick Marshall and the Academy days, you know, my my dealing sort of in a previous role for the FA or, or, or as a PFA regional coach used to come over here quite regular. So it's it feels pretty familiar surroundings. Obviously the people are different from uh, in this in this era than what's been in previous eras. So you know it's been a, it's been really good and really exciting, really good people.
1: Um, just an exciting time. Uh, before we go into your playing career and your road here, I mean, what is your role at Forest? I know Steve has this very loose hierarchy where there's no assistant manager, it's all very collaborative. Are you on the grass training players day in, day out, or are you doing something slightly different?
0: No, no, I'm on the, I'm on the grass every day. So I'm one of, I suppose, with myself, Alan Tate, um, Andy Reid, Danny Alcock, Dave Tivy, fitness coach, and Steve and myself, you know, the coaching team. You know, I think in the modern era, I think you need lots of pairs of hands around the players. You know, I think what's required from working with individual units of the team is is a it's a big job these days, and I, and I think Stephen, there are no illusions the sort of kind of modern look that that team needs to shape needs to how it needs to look and what how that needs to take shape. Obviously, then you need cohesion and people need to be different and offer different things to different players, uh, and and different units in the different team, and I, and I think we're trying to piece that together to have a you know cohesive forward thinking. Aggressive sort of coaching team. That's 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 the setup, and then we play to our strengths. So I'll obviously work with the coaches a bit more on maybe the design of their practices and what we're trying to piece together. You know, and Steve's obviously a fantastic man manager. Katie's a brilliant sort of defensive coach with a defensive mind, and and as you know from Reedy's playing career, fantastic creative player. Who, you know, who's who's someone that we want to keep have. His eye on our sort of attacking play and, and some of the individuals try and unlock their
1: creativity. My favourite ever Forest player that I've seen in person, is. loved him. Absolute <laughs> magician. Um, tell us a bit about yourself then, in terms of your playing career and you, know, you rode in, into coaching before you talk specifically about the FA and what you did to get to Forest. What's your kind of career progression to this point?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was born in the early seventies in, in Liverpool, um, which is obviously a mad. Like Nottingham, a mad football town. I um, was fortunate to play for kind of district schoolboys, Merseyside schoolboys, and ended up at Liverpool as an apprentice, schoolboy, and then an apprentice, and then signed two years as a pro around 1990. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time there, left two years later and went on a free to Barnsley. Uh, enjoyed about 18 months there, which is quite an interesting time. Uh, different, totally different part of the world, just at the end of the miners' strike. It was a cultural experience for me as a young scouser, really, and wow, this place not very miles away from my house is very different from where at, where I've grown up. And then ended up sometime I had three or four years at Carlisle, which was good. And then was at Torquay for a couple and then finished at Exeter and Chester. Got injured about thirty and finished finished then. As my career was sliding down into journeyman, lower division this. But I enjoyed every minute of my playing career. But I did think from early on, I would be better as a coach. I don't know why. I thought that I offered things, empathy and understanding from a player's perspective about what sometimes coaching didn't offer us in that era. So that's when I got into, uh, did a sports science degree in 97, the first distance learning sports science degree that the PFA put on for their memberships. Did that over five years with Paul Simpson and Mark Jules and Brian McGorry, a couple of guys who were we have gone on a successful career in, in either management or outside football. Um, and then I got into coaching, really, not by chance, but I was thinking about what I'd do with my sports science. I thought I really enjoyed the kind of reversing back the playing experiences and thinking about what the theory was behind that. Thought so that was fascinating. Um, and then I thought I'd become a PE teacher or something. And I was working in a gym in Shrewsbury just between finishing playing and thinking about what to do next. <laughs> I started chatting to one of the directors in the in the gym and he said come down and do some work with the under fifteens and I was like, nah, I'm not. Into that. Nah. No thanks. i have had enough of year to year contracts. I'll I'll, uh, I'll crack on and try and maybe become a teacher or do something in academia. Um, which I thought might have suited me more. Um I'd enjoyed my career. I always felt I was the I was the player in the dressing room who who read books and listened to radio 4 and you know was a bit different, you know, and it, I suppose it was more, not more difficult, but, you know, in any culture, you got to fit into that to a certain degree. And I wanted to be my, my true self and I felt coaching and thinking about some coaching principles and some ideas was, was good for me and stimulated me at that point and getting into coaching then, firstly a year part-time and then full-time at Shrewsbury Town was, uh, was a brilliant experience and I absolutely loved it. And I've been doing that for the last 21 years, coaching and then coach developing And sort of linking together like what players do with what coaching coach what's required from coaching and what the environment looks like to try and help players. I suppose A enjoy what they do. I think that's key and be motivated by how they operate. And then secondly, try and think how we can get them better from a from a playing point of view and developing their skill and then seeing what the coaches do to help support that practice design and the way
1: they interact, way they interact with the players. And uh, you, end up here. You mentioned a few things there. I mean, were, were you a centre-half? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. A rugged centre-half, I don't know. I mean, I was, lower League football sounds pretty... Um, a bit like the Wild West. You mentioned Torquay. I read a book. Is it Gary Nelson's book about playing at Torquay? Yeah. You might even have been there at the time. Yeah, I had a, but, yeah, a, little, a little few lines in that book. It's not a claim <laughs> to him. I get it. A different world, though, is it, Lower League football,
0: to what you grew up at um, Anfield? Yeah, Liverpool was very much pass and move. I felt privileged to spend, um, you know, six years there, four years full-time, two years as a schoolboy. But, like, it was just so simple about pass and move principles. You know, the boot room is still in operation. Ronnie Moran and Roy Evans had talked loudly in the, boot, in the boot room and coached you about what was going on the previous night when the first team were playing, about how, how we in rush press in the front. The, the training was all about with the ball. So similar to the work that we do here, you know, we're not running for running's sake. We're running with the ball. The game's hard. and You have to run in connection with, with being good on the football and running off the ball. So some of the bits of Liverpool were absolutely fundamental to me, becoming the person I was or, or the person I've become and who I was back then. And also then the football, how it's built my football philosophy. But then also seeing other, like you said, about low indiv- lower division football, how you can win the games in other ways. You've got to soak up pressure. You know, there's been games that Forrest that have had over the last last season where that soak up some pressure and you have to suffer at the right times, you have to be organized to to deal with that defensively. Um so I think the combination of the sort of cultures I've been exposed to over the years and obviously working at the FA and and ultimately on running the pro licence and dealing with coaches who worked at, you know, clubs in Champions League football and working with some of the national teams. I've got a I just feel privileged to have had such a set of experiences with different people from different backgrounds. Um, Yeah, the combination of all that stuff, it's not, you know, none of the the lead to stuff doesn't operate in isolation. it's, uh, It's very similar and different to the sort of work we're doing now, and it's just having a focus and a real thought about how you want to do your work.
1: You mentioned the work at the FA there, and it sounds like you had a great gig. Was there a part of you when Steve approached you to come join him that you thought, well... Club football, you know, it's not exactly the best for job security sometimes, even as well as things are going at Forest. Was it the challenge that enticed you, or was there any reticence to come? Yeah, I think the, the,
0: the greatest compliment I can pay the football club is that when I was here last year, I used to leave my car thinking, I'd like to go back tomorrow. I'd like to go back and see what we're going to do there, you know, because see the discussion we'd have about what we're doing with the players, what the coaching sessions look like, you know, feedback, and some of the little challenges that we had you know we we're, 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 were fascinating to me and and I was thinking how oh, what that what could that look like you know day in day out as you get to know people better my coaching philosophy is built on relationships and that that's that could only be I suppose you can only really maximize them if you really get to know people understand what makes them tick so the opportunity to come here and to try and build on those relationships was one that I just I just couldn't I just couldn't turn down that. and yeah reticent maybe but also, I think I'm proud of the work that I've done at the FA for the last, the last 11 years. You know, I think we've done some really good stuff and been involved with the EPPP and and the, the kind of establishment of St George's Park as our, as our home of, you know, coach development and the home of our national teams and, and felt it seemed to be the right time to move on. And, you know, you, you can't work out a calculation for that. You just It just felt right.
1: What's Steve like to work with day-to-day, if you don't mind me asking? Fan, fans hear so much about his brilliant man management. And Gary Bertles, who we mentioned before we started recording, he's watched training sessions and was you know, massively impressed with with how good they are. What's Steve like as a person to work with also, so regularly now? Yeah, Steve's a, Steve's a very good person.
0: Um, I think his work is built on sound uh, coaching principles, which is getting to know the individuals really well and trying to build trust with them. And that, that trust is part of the elite environment that we're trying to create. Um, I think f- what stands out to me and always has done is his out, outstanding coaching skills. You know, I, we actually first got to know each other about 22 years ago when he, I was Shrewsbury Town's under 16 coach and he took Wrexham's under 16s. And he was absolutely passionate back then and still is now about developing players and about coaching and about, you know, whatever, the other afternoon, we're there till five o'clock talking about sessions, about what we're going to do the next day, you know, about the work we're going to do with the players. You know, it's absolutely 100% enthused by the work as a coach and the work to develop the players and to develop the team and they're the things that, that come through day in, day out. Um, and yeah, I, I, they're like they potential potentially still got as a coach, you know, and I think for lots of coaches I've worked with over the years, you're just thinking, well, you know, there's still things that he, he can still work on, and he wants to work on, and that's why I think again coming to the club has been a been a great opportunity. And you know, no one, none of the coaching staff are thinking that finished the finished article. We're all we're all trying to develop and get better day and out. Steve's the epitome of that.
1: So, if you go back, 20, I think you said 22 years ago to to Wrexham v Shrewsbury, would you have seen yourself going this far in the game? and would you? And when you met Steve, did you think this guy's going to go far as well?
0: Um. I think I think my my Liverpool background would would say you just got to do your best every day, you know, and see where that's going to take you. It sounds like a cliche, but you can only live one day at a time. You can only do your best. I just wanted to try and be the best coach I could be. Then after being, I suppose, the best footballer that I thought could be, you know, given the hand I was dealt, physical, psychological, you know, social attributes that that I had. And then I thought I thought in coaching, well, who knows where I might end up. I thoroughly enjoyed my early days at Shrewsbury Town. And I suppose back then and. I know Nick Marshall's been on this and he was Academy manager at at, uh, at Forest after the sort of Paul Hart era. You know, you do everything, you drive the minibus, you, you take the kids to the laundry, you take all the, all, the, all the groups, you know, the coaches really well, you know, it's a, it was a brilliant grounding and keeps exactly, exactly the same at, at Wrexham. Obviously, it's a different era now with the, with the Triple P and the way the funding's increased quite rightly for youth development to be able to make sure we get a better set of resources and staffing for our young players but back then we were able to throw ourselves into put lots of hats on I think that really helped me back then
1: mm-hmm. and did you think steve had something about him as as you got to know him then did, that, did it stand out yeah i think so yeah i think
0: when i saw him at liverpool and thought i thought he had a real presence when he became a kind manager at liverpool and i thought then when he went on to take the 17th at England, they had, there's something about him from a presence point of view that you can't really put your finger on. He's got humility and confidence and got them in equal measure at the right time. Um, and I think he believes in the players and about what they can do. You know, that's, that's always shone through. And those things, for me, you then think, well, where are, gonna, where are we going to end up in coaching? You know, if we believe in the players. We've got a sound. He's got a sound. Um, knowledge and understanding of the game. Tactics and strategies. You know, we do some brilliant analysis work with Steve Rams and the team. You know, we we got a pretty, you know, a pretty nice package really in many ways that epitomises modern coaching. So yeah, any question? You know, I thought I thought he had huge potential. So it's you know, it, and part of me is very proud of him as well to see the journey that he's made and the steps that he's made. You know.
1: So you come into Forest, and I don't know if you're a direct replacement for Stephen Reed, but it's kind of Stephen leaves, you come in. What's it like being the new kid after someone who's so respected leaves, especially after promotion at Wembley? What was that dynamic like, and were you a bit nervous coming in?
0: Um, well, I, I've taken Stephen Reid on his coaching awards, so that was a bit of a different dynamic <laughs> between between us. So that it didn't it didn't feel like you know I was the new kid coming in, really. You know, and again, that's huge respect to Stephen. who's I know really very well over the years, and he's a terrific. Um, again, humble, sensitive person, you know, he's, he's been brilliant, I think, at talking about his own, you know, personal struggles over the years, he was great at that, um, I hope I helped in some way, you know, try and tease those things out of him, to try and help him be the true, you know, authentic Stephen Reid. So now with that, that, I suppose, I've worked in football and worked at, at big sporting organisations where people come and go, and you just got to come and be yourself, you know, you can't be anyone else, just try to be myself, and trying to establish you know me in the building about being me you know I'm not I'm not there to try and be Stephen Reid number two I'm just trying to be Jamie Robinson
1: yeah I was going to ask you about the kind of dynamic between the coaches because I guess in any work environment you want people obviously you're pulling in the same direction but you don't want to all have exactly the same opinion exactly the same viewpoints I guess you and Steve are from kind of a similar school of thought it sounds like how does the dynamic work between yourself Alan Reedy and Steve, in terms of you know if you disagree with something, do you you speak up and you thrash it out, and then Steve, like Brian Clough, decides he was right all along <laughs> yeah there's there's
0: definitely a, a democratic kind of like management work that we're doing, you know, but yeah, you're right, Steve clearly has the right to have the final say and clearly make the ultimate decision you know i think I think it would be wrong of us to not give our opinions, whether he agrees with them or not. you know we have to be ourselves and, and offer opinion. But clearly, we, we've got to come within some sort of tram lines and not be outliers and come up with weird and wonderful, wacky ideas. You know, we've got to agree some sort of framework within which we're going to work. You know, and, and that's been good putting together. But then also, as you said, we, we're not we're not sitting there like, yes, man, and saying, yeah, we agree with everything you're saying. You know, there's some bits we need to dis- we need to disagree. But we also need to give some observations that other people can't see. So, Danny Alcott, the goalkeeper coach, has got a very specific, you know, perspective on the game, you know, and obviously we embrace that. And, you know, has the opportunity to to offer his views on, you know, what's going on high at the pitch as well as what's happening, you know, at the bottom end of the of the football pitch. And then, I think the choice, like you said, though, then that's the that's the role of the head coach, the manager, isn't it, to piece together all this information. There's obviously sports science data. There's medical information. You know, there's there's obviously recruitment work that's been uh, that's been well documented about you know revamping and. Reshaping the squad after the number of lone players that the club had last year, you know, that, that's all on Steve's plate. And I think he pieces that together really skillfully.
1: Yeah, how's that going? I mean, obviously, a lot of changes. People outside of Nottingham don't seem to realise a lot of enforced changes because, you know, half the squad was lone yeah. players and grabs left and, you know, uh, um, breaches left. How, how's that bedding in process going? Have you found on the on the training guide? It, it must be a lot of work to, to worked, get through in a short space of time.
0: Yeah, I think I think so, a lot of
1: work, but but if
0: again, you will have seen when Steve came into the football club, the principles of how the game model looks and how how we want to play. that's not changing because new bodies are coming in. It's just sharing those ideas and try and get them you know to buy into the to the to the system and the and the way that we want to play. I mean, I think Steve's has articulated the the squad changes really intelligently, really, isn't it? as you just said, Matt, number of loans people out of contract, the squad was always was was always going to evolve this summer, you know, so I don't think there's been any surprises really about the number of changes. I think like you like you're saying, the question, the challenge isn't it, about getting those individuals who don't know each other to try and gel and be cohesive and, and hit the ground running. And obviously we need we need time with them to be able to do that. But the clearer our principles can be and how we can share them with the players and how we can be really effective in the way we communicate with the with the boys who are who are coming in, and the ones that are here to try and help them, like Joe Warrell and Yatesy and Jack Cole, that be the you know the cultural architects of the environment to try and help share what we, what we do. Then you want you want to try and accelerate that process a bit, but it but it does take time.
1: Is it a different or a harder challenge because you've got lads coming in from the, the Bundesliga and a lot of lads who are coming in from France and different nationalities? Is it is it any different from betting in you know an English player who's played 400 games in the championship? Are the principles the same?
0: Yeah, I think the Premier League is definitely the world league, isn't it? So different to the Championship, which will have you know I suppose English principles at the heart of it. You know, the the Premier League is the world league that that's that's based in this country. You know, the Championship is I sort of work at the FA; it's sixth or seventh best league in the world. You know, so we've got two of the top seven best leagues in the world you know Bundesliga two is down at like 30th i think or something so you know we're, we're trying to recognize that i think the league's got a um a global feel hasn't it for the way the football's played you know and i, and I think that allows the boys to come in and settle in a little bit more cohesively because the way we play is not again your question at the start about league two football where at left side center half you had to put it down the channel there was no mm-hmm. there was no way you were going to roll that ball into centre midfield you know but that's not the way the game's played now at the top of the premier league you know the teams who have who've been successful you know have clearly had a range of styles over the last few years but the majority of teams that are playing progressive you know technically based football through the thirds has has gone through the roof over the last decade and that's shown i think in the premier league clubs uh, record in europe um and the way the league looks you know i think is allowing the players that we've brought in from other other clubs and other countries to, to come and join us and hit the ground running because I think we play a progressive, fast-flowing, you know, attacking style.
1: How much of your job then is kind of uh, getting players up to speak tactically and how much is making sure they're settled in as people and able to be their best on the, on the training ground? Is there a balance to be struck there as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think clearly, first and foremost, we'd be off on the field stuff.
0: You know, would be well on and off the field, meaning video and looking at the work that we're doing to try and help the players bed in. That would be my first priority. But obviously, we would link that in, and you know, Steve and the staff are, I think are really good at picking off the guys individually and seeing how they're getting on, how they settled in. Again, I've been really impressed, impressed with the club support about how Rachel and other people around the club help the new players come in and show them to different properties and, and help them set in really, really quickly. Because as you're putting out, it's a it's crucial, and it's and it's important. So yeah, it definitely feels as sort of a a family element to the way the club's going about helping the players settle in, which can only help them perform on the
1: pitch. Mm. One thing I've asked people a few times around coaching, um, it's kind of that relationship between coaching someone who, in your, uh, no offence, I guess in your case you didn't play at the highest level, is oh, a better footballer no. than you. Uh, you how is how does that relationship work? then on the flip side, you've got like Gerrard and Lampard who are coaching players, especially at Rangers for Gerrard, who are probably not as good as them. How have you found that challenge and overcoming it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I've not been really worried about that because I mean, I grew up with Robbie Fowler and Steve McManaman, you know, who end up being terrific footballers and we talk about similar things. So I think you just need pe- to take people as you find them. You know, I, I, I've never felt when I got into coaching and then coaching some of the you know former England internationals that came on our stuff like David James and others who are big characters you know you just have to take it in your stride really or oh, I think that's part of my skills will be able to take that in my stride but I would only try to get, get to know them I a bit like we're talking about coaching here trying to get to know the individual what their ambitions were how we could support them how we could work together uh, you know I think if you Demonstrative and trying to like be dictatorial, dictatorial to anyone. I don't think that people like that. So I think I've tried to help the work I've done as a coach being a built, built around, you know, some bits around self determination theory and trying to help people with their ownership and the sense of belonging to a bigger picture. And those things have always helped me, like, recognize that everyone's different. Everyone's an individual, regardless of whether they played, whatever, what did Gerard and Frank play 100 odd times for England or, you know, whether they played for. Shrewsbury Town or Torquay United. They're just people who just want to help. You you just want to help try and get
1: better. Does it all come down to relationships and communication then, coaching? Is that the number one skill you've got to have? I've asked Nick this as well, but is that top of the tree if you can have one skill?
0: It is for me. It is for me. But when you say, is it the number one skill? You know, I heard Steve right on Radio 2 today and he's quite good at talking, but he wouldn't be a football coach because you've got Mm -hmm. to know your stuff as well. You know, so Mm -hmm. communication is about also linking who you're trying to work with, with what you're trying to work work on them with, if that makes sense, what you're trying to do with them and then how you're going to communicate that with. So like the who, what, how kind of links together in a little model about, you can't just be a good communicator and, and I think don't know your stuff, you know. You can't just talk about the game and be obsessed with the game and not to get to know the individual who you're working with. Um, I, I suppose that little triangle I find fascinating about coaching, obviously sat in the middle of that triangle is is getting to know yourself Getting to know the pressure that you put yourself under, and how you talk to yourself about how things are going in the game. Um, Part of my experiences in coaching have been in grassroots and in professional football is that the result on the scoreline is is such an overriding determinant about how coaches behave. You know, whether it's a a game down the road from here with the under twelves tonight. You know, the coach the coach has to just keep his or her head and help the players love. Love the game, and get better at doing what they're good at, and that's some of the principles I'm trying to build, build my work on. But then when you're at the performance end, it's more than that. You know, it's it's how they enjoy it, how they're motivated, how they want to be successful, and ultimately how they want to win, and how we all yeah. want to win because the
1: the first team is about winning games is coaching a bit like driving. Then, when you're a seventeen year old and you pass your test, you think you're brilliant, no matter what. And you know you might have the odd crafts like I did. But you have to do ten thousand miles or ten thousand sessions before you're actually any good at it.
0: Yeah, I've done, yeah, I feel as I've had several models about doing the work that you think about how you think, like shaping up. You know, I don't know whether that's the same analogy in driving because it's not that complex as it wants to get. Once you get to know it, you just do it, don't you? And do it, then you do it instinctively, autonomously. You know. I was thinking coaching. I think you have got to think about how you do the work. I think when you're playing, it's much more instinctive. When you coach, there's some thought behind everything you do, every comment you make. In coaching, I think you you have to be analytical, but you've also got to be passionate. You've got to be able to really think under pressure and think about the right stuff at the right time. And um, yeah, I think if I was saying stuff to a coach,es would be thinking just to think how you are on the. On the sideline and how you operate, you know, and are you really thinking and really observing what's going on, or are your emotions just running
1: wild? Mm. Um, let's, let me ask you. Let me ask you about the Newcastle game before we come on to West Ham. I mean, did you learn anything you didn't already know yourself, and as a group of coaches after coming away from St James's Park?
0: Yeah, it was a it was a brilliant learning curve. Um, I think obviously we we're disappointed with the ultimately with the result. I think there's some promising bits about the performance. Um, I think we had some moments in the game where we're thinking we could have, we could have built a little bit of momentum. You know, I think the goals came at, at, at tricky times for us, and maybe we were thinking when we look back at them, you know, we could be preventable. Um, but we're trying to play, and we're trying to play out, we're trying to be progressive. So yeah, I think we we learn we learn a lot, um, and hopefully the players have learned a lot as well about about the level, about the occasion. Um, yeah, no. I think we'll see. I think we'll also be interesting when Newcastle finish in the league as well. You know, um, I think it was an impressive performance from them. They had some good combinations in the certainly in the wide areas that caused our our team some problems. But we've come away thinking, oh yeah, there's lots of positives in that, but and but clearly lots of things that that we think we can improve on.
1: Yeah, I thought they were very good. I thought Guimara's was excellent from what I saw. It was obviously a. Yeah. The, that's the kind of play you're going to come, come up against, I guess. What, what have you made of the response from the players in training so far this week? Then is it exactly what you wanted? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's been really, it's been really exciting to be honest. Um,
0: you know, building up to. And we spoke before, didn't we? The atmosphere at the City Ground for the first game back in the Premier League is going to be pretty special, isn't it? And I think the players are generally excited by that. Um, I've worked hard. You know, obviously it's it's been a hot all week. You know, but they've their attitudes been absolutely first class. You know, and the togetherness is 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 there 100. percent You know, so just trying to build and and focus on the work and and not deviate from the plan and and uh, I'm looking forward to Sunday.
1: How much are you looking forward to Sunday? I know you saying you you went quite a few times last season, and there were some great occasions, and this is going to be up there and perhaps surpass any of them, isn't it?
0: Yeah, 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 I was, yeah. I've watched it come over quite a number of times last season the when I was working with uh, working at the FA and working with the working with the coaches, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's going to be pretty special, isn't it? Yeah, I'm excited. It's but ultimately, it's a game of football. It's still going to be eleven v eleven. We'll still have offside. We'll be two goals. You know, so it's it's still going to be what happens on the pitch, which is going to define the result. You know, and and hopefully we can we can do more of uh, the things that we showed. Um, moments of doing last week at St. James's Park we can do them a bit more regularly on on, on Sunday and a uh, turn in a good performance and a and a good result
1: yeah i agree with what you say but do you think the fans uh, at home they do make a difference that's Sheffield United's second leg i've said this many times on the podcast the fans did make a big difference there does it uh, from the players point of view do they do they hear that and do they feel that noise
0: yeah yeah
1: absolutely yeah i think that i think that i think the players are
0: is pride the right word? What would be the word? I suppose, I suppose the motivation and the enthusiasm you get from playing in such a stadium with such an atmosphere and such a supportive crowd—it's um, definitely a fuel, isn't it? That we that we can't we've got to use as a spirit this season, you know. But we'll still be looking at, you know, specifically, you know, how we're we playing through the thirds, what we're we doing with our pressing, you know, what's happening when they come to attack us, you know. So you're trying to piece all that together, aren't you, to to make sure that we can use.
1: I suppose, the emotional spirit
0: of the City ground to, to benefit the players and the performances. Uh,
1: West Ham are good, aren't they? <laughs> Got some good players. Down. I guess we would going to say it's about every side, Declan Rice, you know, whoever else. Uh, it's a good challenge, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, yeah we're, not, we're not short of days this week to do our homework, you know, about, about what they're all about. Um, obviously, difficult to tell from watching them against City on Sunday, whether they'll go with that shape or that team. When they didn't have as much, when they hardly had any of the ball, Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. What you said that there's good players in the Premier League, there's good sides. You know, obviously David Moyes has done a terrific job there, alongside Paul Nevin, who I know very well, and and some of the other coaching staff that are there. Um, But we can only control our controllables and get ourselves ready and and build on our togetherness in the way that we want to play and and we think that's uh, that's going to be the formula to get to get results.
1: Well, I know everyone's going to wish you well and obviously be pulling for a result for Forest. And if it doesn't come, I'm sure no one's going to panic. They certainly shouldn't because Forest are in a good place and it feels like everything's moving in the right direction at the football club. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. And we shall be back on Monday with Gary Birtles and Mikey Clark and we'll discuss the West Ham game. And as I say, hopefully it's three points for Forest. So thanks very much, everyone. And we'll see you soon.